there's a serenity and peacefulness in those places that can seldom be found elsewhere. That is a quote by this week's guest, Stephen Murray. Welcome to Trina Talk. This is the podcast where guests share their stories of pursuing their passions, living a fulfilled life, and empowering others. Each week, I talk with inspiring leaders, business owners, and people with amazing stories from around the world in unscripted conversations as they share their successes and failures. This podcast is all about empowering you to keep striving in your personal and professional life. I am your host, Trina L. Martin. Welcome to episode 160. The topic of this week's episode is Stories from Exploration. My guest this week is Stephen Murray. Stephen Murray is a Las Vegas author. Praised for his unique writing style and powerful character development skills, his books cross multiple genres and appeals to diverse audiences. In 2007, he started writing down the stories from his travels as a way to keep record of all the places he'd visited and the people he'd met. He spent two years capturing his experiences on paper. Through this process, he discovered a passion for writing. Stephen is the author of four self-published novels, the award-winning Chapel of Eternal Love, the sequel, Return to the Chapel of Eternal Love, Murder Aboard the Queen Elizabeth II, and Discreetly Yours. Hi, Stephen. Welcome to Trina Talk. Thanks very much, Trina. Thanks for inviting me to be a guest on your show. And I uh, thank the listeners for tuning in. You know, I'm happy to have you. We were talking um, pre-show and I'm really excited, looking forward to speaking with you. But how I usually start out the show is I ask all my guests to tell the listener who you are and how you come to be the Stephen that you are today. Well, that's um, how I've come to be Stephen today. It's been quite a journey, and I'll try and keep it relatively brief for your listeners. But I was originally born in England. When I was a child, uh, my family moved to Africa, to the heart of Africa. It was then southern Rhodesia. It's now Zimbabwe. And I grew up in a couple of countries there, in another country called Basutaland. It's now Lesotho. I went to boarding school in South Africa. Um, and when I finished school, I went back to live in England. I spent seven years living in London. And then I got the chance to offer of a job in Los Angeles, California. And I cast caution to the wind, packed my bags and moved to uh, the lovely city of Los Angeles in the Golden State of California. And then after 27 years, I got the chance to move the business to Las Vegas. And so I'm now living in the world's exciting city. And there's been so many experiences and so many people that have made me who I am or made me Stephen. Um, it's been a, a fabulous journey. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And, um, in the course of living in Los Angeles and in Las Vegas and certainly in England, I've been able to travel the world and 
been to 40 different countries and met people of all different cultures. It's been fabulous. So they've made me who I am. Wow, that's a <laughs> that's an interesting story. I I, I love it because one, I love to travel. I've been to Zimbabwe probably probably about 17 years ago. It's been a while. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to Zimbabwe and what stood out to me about you is your computer. You have a computer software company. Do you still have that company? That's, that's correct. I'm winding it down now, Trina. Um, it's just the two of us in the partnership. We've had it now since 1982, oh. uh, which is quite a while. It's been very successful. And um, now I want to stop and do some of the things that I enjoy, more like writing. It's been a fun ride. It's been a wonderful business. And again, uh, with it just being the two of us, it's all been conducted on a gentleman's handshake. It's, we've never had a legal bill whatsoever in 29 39 years of doing business, all a gentleman's handshake. And it's been amazing, you know, so. Wow. Can't complain at all about the clients we've had. They've all been wonderful. Wow. I need to take some tips from you because that's my background. I'm a computer programmer by by trade and I've started my uh, computer uh, tech consulting business. So we, we'll talk oh, about good. that offline. Good, good <laughs> for you. Yes, absolutely. Be happy to. You know, we'll talk about that. Maybe you can give me some pointers and maybe mentor me or something. <laughs> Be happy to give you the benefit of our experience that hopefully it would work for everybody. But, you know, we don't know. We all need different clients, too. Yeah. yeah and, that's, fortunate. and that's interesting that you say you've conducted your business on a gentleman's handshake. What made you do that? And, and how has that worked? Well, it's, it's serendipity in a way. Um, it wasn't planned that way. It just happened. Uh, I started getting clients and I would just send them a bill and they'd send me a check. And, and sometimes it just started out as a one-off thing. They'd want me to go in and fix. And then it just became an ongoing relationship. And I was always honest with them. I never questioned, uh, they never questioned my bills. And I'd be honest and say, if you want me to do this, it's going to take approximately so many hours or so many days or so many weeks, whatever. And they just trusted me to do it. And, um, and occasionally if I messed up, I was always candid. I never blamed anybody else. I'd say, you know what? I messed up here. I forgot to copy a file or something like that. And, um, but I'll fix it. And then the fix will be at no charge. And wow. I think it's just honesty and ethics. I think that's how it just came to be. And I think, too, in a lot of the businesses were small businesses, and they don't necessarily want to start getting attorneys involved in legal contracts and things like that that's going to run them up bills. And so yeah. I yeah. think just being honest and being ethical. And, you know, that's that's uh, that's a key point, because that's what I pride myself on being honest and ethical. And in this day and age, you don't you find a lot of people who are not. And it's as a consumer. I hate that because, like you're saying, if you're just honest with someone, you'll find that people are understanding the majority of the time. Yes. Um, But when you you're not, that's when 
your credibility goes and no one wants to do business with you. So I think that's very important, especially for um, not only entrepreneurs, but just businesses in general, just to be honest and ethical. Yeah. And that's just, I think that's just a way of how you should do business. Not only business, but I think that's how you should be in your, your life in general. I I couldn't agree with you more. And personally, Trina, I don't know how to work any other way. You know, I learned from my dad and mom. You know, my dad had his own business. He was very ethical. He always paid his bills on time whenever they came in, paid them. Um, and he was just very honest and ethical. I, I wouldn't know how to work any other way. And frankly, I wouldn't want to work any other way either. Probably like yourself, you're 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 comfortable with that honest policy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, we've all got to live with ourselves at night and sleep with ourselves, and we're all answerable to our own conscience. And um, yeah, absolutely. Now, I always like to ask my guests, in because you've had a successful business since 1982. First, I would like to ask, what made you decide to start a computer software company? What was the impetus as that was your background? And then also share with us some of your um, failures and what you've learned throughout that to get you to where you are today. Um, I think what how it started, I had always been in the computer business since I left school. I never went to college or university. I graduated from high school and started work straight away as a trainee computer programmer, um, still while I was in Zimbabwe. And, of course, it was still Rhodesia. Then it wasn't Zimbabwe. And when I went to England, I I still worked in the business. And um, the company I came to work for over here, I was still in the computer software. And I left and went and worked for one of my clients, and then they, their business shut down due to the health of the owners. And I really didn't know what to do. And some of my old clients reached out to me and said, oh, would you come and do some moonlighting for us? And uh, we need some, some help with our program. So I started doing some stuff there. And it just morphed into a full-time job. It wasn't really planned to open up a computer software company. It, it just happened. And then it got so busy that um, I got uh, a business partner and he had the same values and ethics that I did. Some of the failures, oh, I don't know. Um, I probably could have built the business much larger and hired some people. I was very unsure about doing that because programs don't have um, a track record of staying anywhere for long. They, they'll stay and they learn what they can and they want to move on to something else. Mm-hmm. And I'd witnessed too much in the past with programmers at companies walking out and, and leaving things in a mess. And I was having to go in and sort a lot of it out. And I didn't want to be in that position. So... Probably I could have built the business much bigger, but I was a little bit timid and I thought stick with what you know. And um, I, when my business partner came along, it was a good fit, but we didn't expand it beyond that. 
and maybe we could have done and earned a lot more money. But money's not always everything right. either, you know, it's whether you're happy with what you're doing. Right. So it's given us a nice, comfortable life. Yeah. So let's move on to you're an author. You have four books. How did you trans? How did you go from being a computer uh, software business owner to being this author? And what made you do it? And tell us about your books. Um, well, I suppose in a way I've been writing all my life because I've been writing computer programs. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Writing books is a, is a whole different ballgame. Mm -hmm. I started to write, um, again, it was just by accident. Uh, I just thought one day, having traveled to all these different countries throughout the world, Trina, I thought it'd be kind of nice to write about my experiences and what I learned and what I discovered and all these different cultures throughout the world and how people are living their lives. And been to a lot of fascinating places like Bhutan up in the Himalayas. Very, very, um, very, very different way of life that uh, people live there. And then on the flip side, down in the Southern Hemisphere, you know, going to places like Machu Picchu in Peru mm. and seeing how the Peruvians live their lives and to Micronesia. There's so many different cultures and, and so many different ways of living life. And I thought, I'm going to put this all down in a book. And I just set to it. And I was a very disciplined writer. Every Saturday afternoon, I would sit and write a chapter. And I took it to be published. And I was told that nobody was interested in reading biographies or things about travel. That if I want to write, I had to write for women. and I thought, shucks, I know nothing about women's fiction. I don't read Daniel Steele or Barbara Cartland or any of those <laughs> people. But I had discovered a total joy of writing, Trina, and I thought, um, I'm going to have a stab at it. So I had a stab at writing, and my first book was called Chapter of Eternal Love, Wedding Stories from Las Vegas. And the reader spends a day at one of our wedding chapters and it's all fiction of course and um, we stick with Rosemary the wedding organizer and the little dog buster and we meet all these couples as they come and go and why have they come to Las Vegas to get married so that was my first stab and I thought well um, that was fun but I hadn't intended to publish it and um, I let it sit in the computer for a couple of years and by then I'd met a few authors and I saw they were selling books other than women's fiction. So I thought, I want to write a murder mystery. So along came my next book, Murder Aboard the Queen Elizabeth II. And when that was finished, I thought that would be published. And the company that helped me publish, self-publish, said, what else have you written? I said, well, I've written about this little wedding chapel. And he said, oh, forget your murder mystery. You've got to go with a wedding chapel book. And I thought, well, I told him I hadn't planned on publishing it. I didn't think it was good enough for publishing, but I sent him two chapters as, his, as he requested. And lo and behold, the rest, as they say, is history. He said, you've got to go with it and help me come up with a cover. And 
came up with an editor to help me get it edited. And lo and behold, it was published. And much to my pleasant surprise, it spawned a sequel. Even though it's fiction, people wanted to know what happened to the couples after they left the Las Vegas wedding mm -hmm. chapel. So I then wrote a book called Return to the Chapel of Eternal Love that takes place five years down the road and it revisits all the companies, uh, all the couples in their first book and where their lives journeys have taken them. And that was fun because I had never planned follow-up stories for any of these couples. I didn't think people would care after they left the chapel what happened to them. So it was very humbling and very rewarding that there was such positive um, feedback. So that was the second book to get published. And once I settled in on the marketing of those, I then went and published my Murder Aboard the Queen Elizabeth II, which was something different, something else to shop around. And then the fourth book that came out two years ago is called Discreetly Yours. And that's a crime fiction book, so it's a totally different genre. And this was tough too because it was a book for women and it's about three very sophisticated, elegant and classy ladies who work for an exclusive escort agency in Las Vegas. And the guy that runs it treats them like dirt. And the three of them, they're the best of friends, and they come up with the perfect crime to get rid of him. <laughs> but is it the perfect crime? Do they actually get away with it? Or do they trip and stumble along the way somewhere? And does the whole lot come crashing down? Mm. So the reader gets to meet these three ladies and learn the reasons why they want to get rid of this terrible creep. And you're with them as they plot and plan the murder, and you're with them as they go through it. So there's no mystery as to who the who's going to get murdered. <laughs> the mystery is, are they going to get away with it? And that's not revealed until the last chapter. And there's lots of twists and turns. And in one chapter you're going to read, and you'll think, darn it, they slipped up, or they're going to get away with it after all, darn it. And then the next chapter, it's a swing back, and there's all these backs and forths, and you're just kept hopefully on the edge of the chair until the last chapter. And the interesting thing is, even though they committed murder, are you rooting for them to get away with this murder? Or do you say, under no circumstances is murder ever justified? So a lot depends on where you sit. I don't make those judgments. It's just something to give the reader thought. So that's the summary of the four books and how they came about. Wow. that's Now that last one sounds intriguing right there. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> so <laughs> how, how did you come up with these stories? I mean, I would imagine, yes, Vegas has a, a lot of characters. But how did you come up with it? Because they're all fiction. How did you come up with these? Well, the original chapel book, the inspiration for that, Trina, came, um, as I said, I'd been struggling to think of how, what I could write for women. And I had cause to go to a, a Las Vegas wedding chapel with some visitors from out of town who wanted to visit one. And we started talking to a couple that were waiting to go in and be married. And after we left the couple and I dropped my visitors back at their hotel, I was driving home and I thought, 
that couple that were going in to get married were really interesting. And I wonder where they're from and what's their story and why they, why have they come all the way to Las Vegas with no friends, no family, just the two of them. And then I thought, there's my book. And you know, Trina, by the time I got home that night from Las Vegas Strip, all these stories had just literally flooded into my mind. I had no idea where they came from. And I went straight to the computer and put down the, the rough outlines before I forgot them. And the book never really deviated from that. I just um, took the outlines and turned it into this novel. And that's how that came about. And discreetly yours, writing about the three escorts. Uh, one of the chapters in the, the chapter of eternal love inspired that. Uh, one of the stories in the chapter of eternal love was about a lady by the name of Emmy. And she ran an escort agency in Las Vegas. She made the mistake of falling in love with one of her clients. And he wouldn't get married because he had a wife and he had kids. He wants to see them grow up and put them through college. And then he promised her that they'd get married um, after his children were raised. And she put her whole life on hold. Oh. And then, of course, he stood her up. And I did it because I wanted to put Emmy in a slightly sympathetic light. I knew she would not be popular with the female reader. And I thought, maybe if I had a standing at the altar by herself with a little bouquet of flowers and him being a no-show would evoke some sympathy for her. And the effect it had, I suddenly started getting all these letters from, or emails, I should say, from women saying, what happened to Emmy? What happened to Emmy? You left us stranded with Emmy. <laughs> and we felt so sorry for her. We wanted to know what happened to her. And so, of course, she was dealt with in the sequel as well. But I was so surprised at the amount of sympathy she got and people wanted to know what happened to her. I thought, well, I wonder if I take this one step further and actually have three escorts kill somebody off or they still evoke the same amount of sympathy. So Emmy was the inspiration uh, for Discreetly Yours. And the rest of it was really a challenge, um, again, I think for writing to be interesting, it has to be a challenge to the author, for me anyway. There's got to be something challenging in it. And I thought getting in the minds of three female escorts, sophisticated, elegant, classy ladies, is certainly going to be a challenge. There's no question about that. And it was. Um, from the reviews, it appears that I succeeded. I hope I did. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, they all sound... <laughs> very, very interesting. I'm like, oh, I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and you, you know, and have you, had you always wanted to be a writer? I mean, did this, was this something that you wanted to do? And did you have um, the, the aspirations to just tell these kind of fictional stories? How did, how did you come about this? I mean, I know you said, um, your first book, they said, oh, you have to look at women, the women genre. But it sounds like you're, you've got some pretty good stuff going on for this to just had happened, you being an author. I, Trina, I had never dreamed about writing. I, it, it had never, it certainly never sort of pitched up 
on my radar screen to to write books. So I said I came to it pretty late in life. It was um, after I'd had the business for several years, and even when I got to Las Vegas, that's when I started to write the book on my travels, and that's when I discovered the joy of writing. But other than that, I'd never really, I'd never really thought about writing fiction. I just writing had not been a um, something I planned on doing, but. I did discover a real joy and real fun. And ever since I joined a critique group where we each take what we're writing and everybody critiques everybody's work and that kind of keeps me going on it. But I have found it a fun hobby and it's very absorbing. It, it really is very absorbing. And my next book is now being edited and it's something totally different. It's um, going to be a Christmas novel and it's just going to be one of these real warm and fuzzy mushy books and it's about five people who are uh, leaving Jackson Hole Wyoming and they're traveling to Cody for Christmas in a helicopter and the helicopter crashes in this little village and it's Christmas village where Christmas is in their DNA. They live it all year round. They're just giving and loving and warm and friendly. And the town park has a Christmas tree in the center of it, 365 days a year. And these five individuals all have their issues to deal with. And how spending the three or four days that they're trapped in this village literally transforms their lives. So that was a fun challenge, but something totally different. And um, I'm looking forward to hearing back from the editor at the end of this week to see how much rewriting and chopping and changing there's got to be done. But I think it's going to be a nice, fun, easy read. They're all easy reads. There's no graphic sex or violence or expletives. They're just pure. Your grandmother could read any of them, even the discreetly yours. The grandmother wow. read it won't be offended. Wow. And so. and you're you're touching on different uh genres and aspects because usually like if you find an author, they usually stick with the same yes. kind of genre. Yes, they become known for it. Yeah. Um you're absolutely right. Uh, you look at well known people like Stephen King and John Grisham and Daniel Steele, who we right. talked about earlier and Barbara Cartland. Yes, um, and most authors I know stick within the same genre. Um, I kind of like the challenge again of writing in, in multiple genres. There comes that word again, challenge. Mm -hmm. And uh, when Discreetly Yours came out, I've been sort of wrapped up in murder and mayhem and what have you for two years writing it. And it was released in July of 2019. And I just had to be home one night watching Hallmark and they had Christmas in July. And I thought, you know what? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something that is just going to be light and warm and fuzzy and totally away from the murder, you know, get my body and brain away from that set for a while. And now I'll probably go somewhere in a totally different direction after this one's come out. So I'll see. <laughs> That's funny because I've been I was thinking about the Hallmark Channel as you were describing your books. 
And yeah, when you said the the Christmas in July or whatever, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm like, that's Hallmark Channel because I watch Hallmark Channel and I'm like, <laughs> your books would make good movies. <laughs> well, you know, to be quite honest, that it's funny you should mention that, Trina, because that has been my dream since day one. And if it doesn't happen, it's not the end of the world. Right. But certainly the, um, the Chapel of Eternal Love books um, and the return to the Chapel of Eternal Love would be a great mini series. And a lot of people who have read it have su- suggested you've got to get this to Disney or you've got to get it to Hallmark or yeah. Netflix. But you know, you've got to find the right people and know the right people. Um, it's not easy. And then, of course, writing the screenplay, that's, that's another story in of itself. Oh, yeah. But you know, one of these days, I'm hoping that I, I do. Uh, book signings, believe it or not, at Hallmark bookstores, the local ones here in Las Vegas. Um, I, I don't promote my discreetly yours there because it doesn't fit the, <laughs> the Hallmark image. But um, the Chapel of Eternal Love, Return to the Chapel of Eternal Love and the Murder of Boards of QE2, you know, Hallmark's now going into murder mysteries. Mm-hmm. So I go there and have book signings and sell and um, not since COVID, of course, but before then I was doing book signings there. And I will do a game once COVID all passed us and behind us. Oh, man, that sounds sounds fun. You know, I, I wrote I wrote one book. It was more of my memoir, and then I was a co-author on an anthology. And I was like, I think I just think writing nonfiction is so cool. It's creative, you know, it's it is as a creative outlet. And I'm like, I wonder if I could do that. <laughs> I guess I would have to sit down, like you said, and just slow down and let my mind just kind of give me those ideas. Because, man, that is just, I'm just listening to your stories. And I'm like, man, those sound like really, really good. I'm like, I need to read all of them. And I need to see a movie of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, they are fun. And I would say, if you're thinking about it, go for it. You know, um, what have you got to lose? and there's something very rewarding. Um, it's hard to describe when you actually get that first book in your hand. It's actually printed and you think, gosh, um, I, I did this. Mm-hmm. True, there was help, of course, but ultimately, you know, you're the catalyst for making it happen. And my only suggestion, Trina, would be is um, be sure and try and get in the writer's group like I am because I found them invaluable and they're encouraging they're supportive and we meet every two weeks our group and you have to bring something that you've written it doesn't always have to be a full chapter of your book but you have to bring something so that's motivational you know we can't go unless we've got something so that also keeps you going and makes you progress you know, with what you're writing. And they're helpful and supportive and they'll help steer you. So you're not just out there bumbling by yourself because it's tough. Yeah. It really is tough. So explain to the listeners, especially those out there who want to write a book, what is the critique group and how do you find them? Because when I was writing my book, I didn't know about that and I wouldn't even know where to go and how to look for one. Well, um, to, to answer the first question about what a critique group is, 
I'll answer that first and then how to find one. What a critique group is, and don't feel bad if you're not familiar with them, because when I was approached about joining one, I had to say, what's a critique group? I'd never heard of them. I hadn't a clue what, what it was. But what it is, it's a group of people who enjoy writing. They're not always necessarily out to publish things. They just enjoy writing. Ours meets every two weeks. There's four or five of us. We each print out a copy of what we've written for everybody in the critique group. And let's say there was just you and myself and let's say somebody else called Joe. Mm -hmm. And... If it was just the three of us in the group, you will print out three copies, one for yourself, one for Joe, and one for myself. When we get there, then we just rotate. You would start, you would give the copies of what you've written to Joe and myself. You would read aloud what you've written, and Joe and I would follow with what you're saying. If we saw any spelling errors, typos, grammar errors, we'd correct it. We see things that we like, we'll put a little happy face, spy it, or like this, um, this is great, good analogy, good comparison. Put little notes in the comments as you go. Then afterwards, Joe and I would say to you, Trina, um, we love this, this is great, um, we really like this piece, I really like that. So we try to be encouraging and supportive, but then we'll also say, but this little bit doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit the character. Or I can't see the dialogue coming out of this person's mouth as you've described them. Maybe you want to consider this. Or, or we might say, you know, you've given a little bit of background here, but we need to know a little bit more about this character. Do you want to fluff it up? So we're like supportive. And then after we've finished with your book, then we'll come to mine. Then I give you the piece and Joe, and then we repeat the process. So that's what a critique group actually does. I'd never heard of them, as I said. I stumbled into it because when I finished my book on my travels, I went to a writer's group that meets in Las Vegas, and that's where the guest speaker was a publisher. And she was the one that told me, you know, you've got to write for women's fiction. But because I'd signed up online at this writer's group, it's a book club, um, somebody contacted me the next day and said, we saw you at the meeting last night, you were interested in joining a writer's critique group. And that's how I came to get involved. So look and see if there's any book groups or book club that meets. Um, check out places like Barnes & Noble because a lot of the small book Critique groups meet at places like Barnes & Noble or other bookstores um, in the area. Reach out and say, do you have any book clubs that meet? They probably don't right now because of um, the virus, but when it's over, reach out to them. Um, but yeah, do a Google search, see if there's any book clubs in the area. Reach out, see if there's any authors in the area. Um, reach out to an author and see if they're interested in joining one or starting one or put something out um, put something out yourself on Facebook saying you're thinking of starting a critique group and the author's interested in joining and you might even want to try doing it online uh, a Zoom meeting like we're doing ours but have the email addresses of the 
uh, people who's in your group so that you can email each other what you've written. They can print it out from their homes and do it. But the five of us who are in my group, we're all pretty in a few miles of each other, so it's easy to meet each other's homes. We just rotate homes and have little snacks and a little bit of wine. Make mm. it fun, more interesting. <laughs> wine is my favorite. Yeah, wine. There you go. <laughs> makes everything better. <laughs> That's, well, I go one step further. I like the wine with the beads, you know, the champagne or the prosecco. So that makes it even better. That's that's even yeah, that's even better. Yeah, that makes makes me all nice and happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh, I love it. I'm I'm very interested in your books and oh my goodness. So we're going to move into the questions. Are you ready for the questions? Absolutely. Okay. Sure. All right. Who or what motivates you? Um. I, I think I'm not necessarily a self-starter. Um, I think it's once I come up with an idea for a book, I think I'm motivated by the uh, the fact that I'm in this critique group and I have to produce something every two weeks and I try and be a man of my word. And that's what kind of motivates me. And there's, there's something too. Um, not everybody's going to like what you've written. Uh, that's just something we have to accept. Not everybody's going to like us anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's a given that not everybody's going to like your work. You can take some knocks. But there's something very rewarding when somebody does email you and says, I've read your book for the fifth time or sixth time. It gives me comfort. It gives me hope or whatever it is that they're getting from the book. That kind of motivates me. I tend to be more motivated by other people than a self-motivator, I have to confess. Hmm. What demotivates you? I think if I'm with people who are negative, I I find negative very counterproductive. Mm -hmm. And if I'm with somebody who I care about, friends I care about, and they're going, um, they tend to go into a negative mode. I can find that very, can pull me down if I'm not careful in that book. Mm. If somebody says they're having trouble getting people to buy their books or something like that, or getting their book finished, mm. I can find that a little bit. Why, 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 oh, maybe I should just give up on this book kind of thing. That can pull me back a little bit. Yeah. I think it's like an empathy, if you will. Mm, Yeah. When was a time that something was said or done to hurt you, but it worked for your good? Oh, gosh, there could be a string of those. But (laughs) Um, I think probably one of the youngest and earliest impressions that hurt me at the time because I didn't have the maturity that I hope I have now. It was when I was living in Zimbabwe and the first job I had was with NCR, National Cash Register. I don't know if you remember them or have heard of them. They were very big then in the computer industries and in cash registers and department stores and things like that. Mm -hmm. They took me on as a trainee program when I was 16 and a half. 
And I worked with them for a year and a half. I worked so hard. I wanted to, you know, do so well. And I was called in and laid off. Um, uh, they, it was at the time they were the political situation in Rhodesia. They applied sanctions, which meant that no computers could come into the country. So they laid, uh, NCR laid a lot of us programmers off. And I took it very, very personally. I took it very, very badly. And I thought, oh, you know, I'm useless. I'm worthless. I wasn't doing a good job. That's why I was picked out. Um, but as it transpired, um, a couple of days later, we were given two months to work there and uh, two months' notice. And I went in a couple of days later and three of the other people, they were planning on going to London. And they said, why didn't you come with us? And I said, I didn't think I could afford it. But we sat and worked out and, I, and they said the four of us could share a flat. And of course, I never looked back. Um, but at the time, it was very hurtful and it certainly crushed my um, self-esteem, no question about it, because I was only 18 and didn't know any better. So these things happen as part of life, but certainly put me in good stead and it brought me on a life that I never have imagined. Yeah. What is your fear? I fear sometimes for where our country's at and the division and the hatred. I fear that it's kind of spiraling out of control. Mm. And I would just de be devastated to see that happen because when I came here, it was a whole different country when I came to America in 1976. And I've never seen the division that there is now. Maybe it was always there and I just didn't see it. I don't know. But in the world of Steve and Murray, right now, it's, it's escalating to a point where I wish it wasn't. Mm -hmm. I agree. You know? Yeah. Is there a time <clears throat> that you wish you had done something that you didn't? I think there's there's always times, Trina, when we can look back in our life, and these are all good questions, by the way. Um, I think they're all there's always times where we could say, "I wish I had taken this turn." And one of them, for example, I, I don't know, are you familiar with a show called Lawrence Welk? Yes. Yeah. Um, when I first came to America, one of the first clients that I had was with Lawrence Welk's son. He produced all their records and their albums of all the artists on the Lawrence Welk show and what have you. And um, I had to write the royalties program. And down the road, a few years down the road, he had contacted me and asked me if I would go and work with them full time. And I was, you know, ho-hum. But it sounded like a very great offer, and I would have an office overlooking the beach in Santa Monica, overlooking the Pacific Ocean, and a nice company apartment also overlooking the ocean in Santa Monica. And I had a little condo in Glendale, California. And they said, oh, you can rent that out and move in here. And I thought, oh, this is such a wonderful opportunity, and it's an amazing opportunity, and it was with a lot more money to too. But I didn't take it because the time just wasn't right. 
And there are times when I've wondered how things would have turned out had I obtained that job. But then I wouldn't have enjoyed the happy years that I've had since. So I think there's always several occasions where we can look back and say, gosh, I should have done that. But then if we had have, it would have taken us down a different path and a different journey. We wouldn't, you and I wouldn't have been talking here today, you know? So although there are times I, I do wonder what would have happened in certain cases, but I can honestly say I don't regret not having taken them. Mm. Wow. <clears throat> Is there a time that you wish you had not done something? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> um, yes. Um, there was a time... There was a time in England when I left I left my job with NCR mm -hmm. in England and I was just getting so very frustrated and fed up and I went back to Africa to my brother's wedding and I could see the situation in a totally different light and I actually telegrammed my, this of course was long before emails and what have you, mm -hmm. I telegrammed in my notice <laughs> And I got back to England and they said, call us as soon as we get back. But I wouldn't go back. And when I got back to England, unemployment was sky high. And I'd given my notice and I didn't have a job to go back to. And that wasn't the smartest thing to do <laughs> because I wasn't that old to begin with. And I didn't have too much experience under my belt. And I certainly didn't have the self-confidence. You know, so that was not certainly not one of the smartest things to do. And incidentally, neither was going to England. Oh, when I was talking earlier about people at NCR in Africa and four of us decided to go, the other three ultimately backed out for various reasons, and I landed up going by myself. Again, moving to England in November in the bitterly cold, and I was only 18 and by myself. and. I'm glad I made the move, uh, but it certainly wasn't the smartest thing to do. Logically, right. it wasn't the smartest thing to do, but I did it. Oh. Wow. What is your definition of success? I think um, finding peace within yourself. I think... Um, not everybody can find an inner peace. And I don't think it's that easy to find. Yeah. I think I've been very blessed because I do have that inner peace. I think um, I try to give back and give out because I've been given so much. Mm. I feel very blessed that I have been given so much. I've been given a brain. Um, I've been given a wonderful home. I've worked for it. I've had marvelous friends, fabulous health since I've been in America, a wonderful life. Mm. I came here with two suitcases and $500. Wow. And I knew three people, and I've had a, a glorious life, so I have a lot to be grateful and thankful for. Um, and I have found that inner peace. So I try and give back, and I think through giving back and giving out, and doing it, that's success too. Mm. You know, giving back, making 
our little corner of the world a little bit better than when we found it, you know? Yeah. It probably sounds very idealistic, but I think it's no. achievable. It, it is. No, I love it. How do you recharge? How do I recharge? Um, get involved in something new. Mm. Um, try and start something new. Try and reach out and do something different. Um, whether it's just getting involved in an organization, um, doing some research on places to go and visit, you know, to travel, something different, something out of the norm. Being a little bit adventurous, that recharges me. That gets me going. Mm. What are you awesome at? Oh, what am I personally awesome at? I don't know that I'm awesome at anything per se, but um, I think I, I'd like to put together dinner parties with groups of people who haven't had much gain in the way of COVID. I don't know as I'm awesome, but um, people seem to be coming back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've had Christmas Day at home for the last, I don't know how many years, and we always have a group of friends that come over Everything's always decorated to the max. It's traditional Christmas. We have all the decorations, the trees, the everything, the games and stockings and everything. It's like the old traditional Christmas we all had way back when. And everyone always seems to come back and they always say it's awesome. So maybe that's that's it. I'd like to think that I'm an awesome writer, but I don't know as I'm quite I'm not quite at John Grisham or Stephen King level. I think I've got a ways to go for that. <laughs> but you're Stephen, so that's all that there matters. There you go. There you go. Yes. Yes. The truth is so. Yeah, that's all that matters. What legacy do you want to leave? Oh, I hope that I will be remembered as, if I'm remembered at all, um, as someone who was kind and caring and a, and a good and a true friend that I was there and could be depended upon. Um, I think that's the, the truest gift that one can can give back mm -hmm. to your friends and family that you were there. Yeah. Give the listeners one motivational takeaway. Oh, I think um, one motivational takeaway um, if you're thinking of doing something, take that risk, take that plunge. You won't look back. And don't always listen to the naysayers. Listen, heed their advice. There's nothing wrong with heeding their advice. But pursue your dreams and make, make your dreams become a reality. No, that's, we're all trying to live the American dream. and There's nothing wrong with the American dream. Go out and live it and make it happen. Mm, I love that. Stephen, tell the listeners how they can connect with you, how they can get your book, and whatever else you got going on. Tell us. Well, if they want to know more about my books, I have an author website. It's www.authorstephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Murray, M-U-R-R-A-Y.com. That's my website. Um, they can also email me. My email is Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, at Cassandra's, C-A-S-A-N-D, 
ras.net. They can contact me. And even at the authorstephenmurray.com, it has my email address on there. So uh, they can reach out and contact me. It has a mailing address if people want to send a, um, a letter. I do respond to all the emails when they come in within 24 hours. So I'll be happy to hear from many of your listeners. And I just hope they've enjoyed listening as much as I've enjoyed being a guest. Yeah, I'm sure they will. I've enjoyed it because I enjoyed listening to your uh, what your books are about and just how you just love it. And you're you're not you're not stuck in one genre. You're just going with whatever, you know, you're inspired to write. So I I really like that. I think that's um, more appealing than just saying, OK, he does this one type of book. So yeah. I like that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's it's fun. It's challenging, but it's rewarding. You know, maybe not financially, but it's rewarding. Yeah. So, yeah. It's cool. Well, thank you for being on the show. Oh, thank you so much, Trina, for having me. I thoroughly enjoyed being a guest, and um, I wish you continued success with your podcast and with your computer consulting and with your writing and any other ventures that you have up your sleeve that you haven't shared. <laughs> thank you if you like Trina Talk Podcast please don't forget to go out to iTunes and rate it 5 stars and leave a review also who else in your life do you know that needs some motivation and inspiration in their lives don't forget to share Trina Talk with them I hope you have a great week and remember if you change your mindset you can change your life keep striving because success is a journey not a destination.